I did I tell you guys this story? One time I accidentally bought decaf and then like didn't realize I drank decaf like one Saturday. I literally almost went to the urgent care that evening because I thought I was dying. <laughs> I seriously like my head I felt so terrible and um then I figured out that it was just a caffeine issue. So join us this week for terrifying stories of decaffeination. <laughs> Seriously. It was so bad. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Compact Nation podcast. I am here just coming off Thanksgiving break with my colleagues. This is Emily Shields with Iowa and Minnesota Campus Compacts. This is Andrew Seligson, president of Campus Compact. And Marisol Morales, vice president for Network Leadership. Great. So how was the day of turkey for you both? It was good for me. Uh, I was with family. We were on in a house on an island in a lake in North Jersey. You have to get there by boat. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, very festive, very uh, beautiful spot. Had a great time. Uh, mine was good, too. Quiet with the family. Yep. Same. Good times with family in eastern Iowa. Not exactly quiet. Uh, lots of little ones. But my niece is walking which is really exciting so good times yeah my niece was also there and walking but she's you know seven so it was less <laughs> remarkable yeah i should clarify that my niece is not quite a year old so it was a remarkable new thing that she was walking we also can i just say this this is a pre-thanksgiving but I think it's the first time we're recording since, although I sometimes get confused about what happened when. We're coming off the Newman Civic yes, Fellows Conference yes, yes. here do, in Boston, Massachusetts. Do uh, share. How did yeah, that go? It was great. It was fantastic. We had 200 some odd fellows uh, in the house at the Edward M. Kennedy Institute for the U.S. Senate. And they are just a spectacular group of human beings um, doing incredible work, fired up, committed, rallying their peers. They have so much fun getting to meet each other that it's just kind of electric. Um, and, you know, they one of the big sort of centerpiece uh, elements of the conference is the Senate simulation yeah. uh, they do. And seeing them play these roles that have nothing to do with their own identities and just like getting up and owning this and making these impassioned speeches for like, you know, this kid from New York City or Chicago or whatever for, you know, the importance of agricultural interests in Wyoming and how this can't be left out in the food. I don't know. There's something about it which is really great to see. And just the, the ways they're thoughtful about these things and reflective about what they're doing, but also just throw themselves into it. Uh, it was great. And we had Ken Reardon, our Ehrlich Award winner from last year, professor at UMass Boston, uh, doing a kind of workshop on direct action organizing with them uh, that was also really great. And the students um, appreciated that. And it was, you know, sort of we one of the things we did was emphasize the theme of really thinking through when do you sit down and negotiate? When do you stand up and fight? And how do you do those things, right, when you make those choices? So uh, anyway, it was uh, it was great. 
That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I know we had four students from Iowa. I think a few from Minnesota also attend. Looking forward to hearing how it went for them. And nominations for that are open right now, right? They are compact.org. You can uh, find out all the information about it. And so, yes, if you're a president or chancellor, nominate somebody. If you know a president or chancellor or know their email address or whatever, please encourage them to nominate. Uh, Every Campus Compact member institution is eligible to nominate one student. And we just love having the participation from all over the place and all different kinds of institutions. Um, And next time, you will have the opportunity to hear a little bit from a couple of the fellows who were here. That'll be our next episode, uh, an interview with with two of the fellows. So that will be terrific. You'll get a little bit of a sense of, uh, of their voices and the issues that they're thinking about. We had a really great conversation. Yeah, that's great. And it is one per member campus. So I know a lot of our members here have their own internal process to kind of determine that one student that they want to recognize nationally and give kind of these great opportunities to. So it's an exciting time of year. And I don't know if we said it, those are due next February. Yeah. Do we say that? I don't know if we did, but it's true. Yes, it is true. Just it. Due next February. So you've got some time to figure out who that one outstanding student on your campus is. Um, Great. Well, that's all wonderful to hear. So this episode for uh, what we decided to do for kind of our segments is to mix it up a little bit. We're a few weeks out from the midterm elections, obviously a very important moment in our work with record turnout. We won't know um, specifically about college student turnout until um, sometime next year when the uh, Institute for Democracy and Higher Education puts together all of their data um, where they're comparing the college student enrollment with with voting records. So, But we do have good data on youth turnout and turnout in general. Wanted to reflect on that a little bit and talk about some bright spots. So from CIRCLE, uh, you know, Definitely going to know what that stands for. <laughs> Circle. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. The Center okay, for Information. Circle? Yeah, Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement, and they are also like the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education out of Tisch College at Tufts University. Right. So a great source for data, information, and resources at civicyouth.org. So they're they're a source for us of some information today about turnout. And they have estimated that um, 31% of eligible young people voted in the 2018 midterm election. So that's everyone ages 18 to 29. Um, But that is a significant jump from the last midterm election. So a lot to be excited about there, right? Yeah, it was uh, 21%, the equivalent number in 2014. I think I might have said something wrong the last time we recorded because I think I mixed together student voting and youth voting. So the jump was from 21% to 31%, but that's still obviously a 50% increase, which, uh, you know, if you look at a lot of social indicators, it's you don't see 50% increases in anything from one cycle to the next. So it's a pretty amazing jump. Um, and the other thing, Circle has done a bunch of analyses about the impact on outcomes of youth participation. 
And so it happens that in this cycle, youth split heavily for Democrats. One interesting thing is that has not been true typically or even most of the time in recent years. So as recently as the last, you know, three or four midterm cycles and presidential cycles, uh, you know, youth were split pretty evenly Democratic and Republican. This time they went heavily for Democrats and it was the deciding factor in a ton of races. Um, And it was especially true, they have concluded, where you have high proportions of youth of color participating. Uh, That was the driving force. They had done an analysis of a Democratic primary race in here in Boston. Ayanna Presley um, knocked off a 10-term incumbent in the primary in September, and they did an analysis showing that kind of pockets of uh, precincts where you had very high youth of color proportions uh, went heavily for Ayanna Presley, and that helped drive the outcome. And they did a similar kind of analysis at the county level for a bunch of places across the country and saw the same impact. So I think it's, um, again, less about which side wins, but I think it's a good sign when, or a good indicator for the future, when young people turn out and have good reason to believe it made a difference. Uh, I think that's something that will turn people out. And again, from my perspective, when we see whether it's through action or through policy changes. So as an example, in Oregon, you know, they've gone to automatic voter registration. Uh, I think that's great. It had definitely had an effect, especially apparently in rural white men turning out more. Um, and because that was a group that's pretty disengaged from the electoral process, but be having automatic registration. From my perspective, anything that gets people participating is positive. I would rather, you know, you know, whether you win or lose elections, believing that they actually represent the voice of all of us, I think is just an important part of the legitimacy of the process. So in this case, whatever it was that motivated young people to turn out, and again, we have some, some sense of some of the things, especially with college students. I think it's great that they can know that turning out made a difference uh, in in the outcomes of elections. Mm-hmm. Might as well, what would you attribute it to? You know, kind of what are you what are you seeing? I know we'll get a lot of studies and, you know, we'll learn a lot more officially and going forward about why more people turned out. But I'm just curious what you've seen. I mean, I think, you know, part of it is that you also had a record number of candidates who were women and people of color, LGBTQ, so much more diverse and representative of the nation as a whole. And so when you have that on the ballot, I think more people are willing to um, come out and uh, participate. Um, And so I think the representation that was on these ballots this year more than ever um, was also a driving factor in bringing people out uh, to vote. I also think you're also seeing much more participation in terms of community actions and protests and marches and those sorts of things. And so those are all, I think, builders to uh, participation in not just the ballot box, but in the community in in general. Yeah, I think there's I'm seeing a lot more of those types of connections. Um, We also had a a student conference a couple of weeks ago here. And I think I mentioned in the last podcast that, you know, all of the students that came to at least one of the sessions had voted in the midterms, a lot had voted locally. For us in the past, that hasn't necessarily been the case. We've had a lot of students who are motivated to be involved in their communities in other ways, you know, as volunteers and in doing different things like that, but haven't necessarily connected that to the political process. And it feels to me like that is changing a lot. Students are seeing the things they want to be different in the world um, as things that the political process needs to be a part of changing. 
Yeah, I think the two things that'll be interesting, I mean, one is, you know, we're, we're celebrating because it went way up. It, we're still talking about turnout of 31%. So there's an enormous opportunity to continue to push that number upward. And so hopefully we'll continue to see that, you know, it always jumps in presidential cycles. So we'd expect higher turnout in 2020. But when 2022 comes around, you know, will we see a dip back down or will we see a, a trend? The other thing that I think will be interesting to see is, you know, historically, or at least in, well, I guess historically, elected officials take seriously the interests of older people to a much greater extent than the interests of younger people because they vote in higher numbers. And so it'll be interesting to see whether this election pushes some folks to put, you know, some issues about uh, college student debt burdens, about issues that relate to the future of the planet five, six decades down the road, whether those are moved to the foreground, uh, questions about the inclusiveness of the economy for people coming out of uh, school or entering uh, trades or whatever it may be. I think, you know, it'll be interesting just to see whether we see effects of that participation now that it's up at least a significant amount. Right. And I think that gives campuses the opportunity to bring candidates to campus for serious conversation. Um, I know in the last presidential cycle, we saw uh, somewhat of a trend in Iowa, I think, of, of campuses doing more to make sure that when candidates visit, it's not just about a rally and a crowd and energy, that it's about real conversations with students about the issues that they care about. And so I think this is an opportunity where hopefully you will have more interest from candidates in visiting campuses and actually you know, talking to young people as voters. And I think campuses can do a lot to help encourage student leaders and, and set up events that do that. I know here in Iowa, the cauc- caucus season is already upon us, um, little over a year out, and we already are seeing a lot of candidates come into the state. And so uh, that even in particular poses great opportunities where students can meet in often pretty intimate settings with people who could be um, the president in the future or even just people who are national leaders. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities for us to kind of continue the momentum um, and make sure the momentum stays focused on issues and really understanding what you're voting for and what you're voting about. So as I mentioned, we wanted to do this uh, segments episode a little bit differently, talk a little bit about the um, election results ourselves, but also share a few different bright spots from across our network of um, areas where we were hopefully, we think, contributing to some of that turnout and election engagement. So I was able to sit down for a short interview with our statewide election engagement coordinator here in Iowa. Um, Samantha Bain is a junior at Drake University in Des Moines, and she has for over a year now done great work with us in partnership with Campus Election Engagement Project to um, support ongoing election engagement on campuses. And she'll talk a little bit about what she did and some of her reflections on that. And I know you guys have done some interviews as well. Do you want to preview those a little bit for our guests? So I had a great interview with uh, Burtis Robinson, our director for community college engagement, and um, the work that was done with Engage the Election that looked at uh, connecting with community colleges to increase voter participation rates. 
I interviewed Clarissa Unger. Clarissa is the director of civic engagement for Young Invincibles. She is the mastermind of a broad strategy to bring together uh, a whole group of college student-focused voter engagement work across the country. And she really uh, has a, a broad picture of all the work that was done that connected Campus Compact as well as many of our partners and others to increase college student participation in the midterms. Okay, so we will go to those bright spots now and be back. Well, hi, Samantha. Hi, Emily. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So as you sit here more than a week after the election, um... Reflect back on your experience a little bit um, doing election engagement statewide. What surprised you the most about this work that you kind of didn't expect? What surprised me the most? Um, The main thing I took away was that students really care. I think so often we hear that uh, millennials or Gen Zers or whatever we're called now uh, don't have an opinion. They don't want to have their voice heard. They're just on their phones and texting away on their Facebook and Instagram. And that's your Snapchat. Yeah, my selfies. Your selfies. And my (laughs) hashtags. Uh, Yeah, that's, that's what I do. And, you know, I've been ask that a lot, like, oh, aren't you just a college student? Like, why are you doing all of this? Um, and what students really care. Students across the state have been volunteering their time. They're not paid, typically, or their fellows and not paid that, like, a super big amount, but they're doing this work because they have a passion for getting other students out there. And the results were there. Like, we had a higher turnout this year than we did in 2014. That much is true. And what do you attribute that to? There's a lot I attribute it to. The main thing that I've pointed out was a lot of people say that 2008 was the social media election. I would say that this year was the actual social media election because all the partisan stuff happened in 2008, but there was an actual push for people to go vote in 2018. There were businesses involved. There were all sorts of nonprofits involved. Celebrities. Celebrities got involved. (laughs) Uh, All sorts of celebrities from all different like sports and TV and whatever. Like those were all uh, a big factor. So, yes, 2008 was social media, but this is the first generation that was raised on social media to go vote. Uh, So that was, that's my main takeaway. There's, of course, the partisanship reasons that I cannot state here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the excitement around voting because of the times we live in. Mm -hmm. But I would attribute it to just a constant in-your-face information about voting. So you and I have talked a lot about, you know, the the ties between election engagement and dialogue and political discussions and those kinds of things. Are there things in that area you've seen working in terms of engaging students in real meaningful conversation um, and showing a different way of having those conversations? 
Yeah, I had a few student fellows uh, who did work on why I vote, which mm-hmm. I had the staff advisor at Morningside College say that asking students why they voted was a big honor because having that dialogue was critical before it was just being yelled at, like, go vote, go vote, go vote, do it right now. Instead, people were actually engaging in a conversation about why they choose to wait in line on election day. So that was an important conversation piece that happened. There were also quite a few schools who did deliberative dialogues this past cycle, and not just about the elections, but about particular issues in general that matter to schools here in Iowa, tuition and um, medical amnesty and uh, sexual assault on campuses were all things that happened this semester that may have not directly related to the election, but it engaged students around an area that was important to them and then connected it to policy, which makes students more likely to vote. Well, yeah. So I've heard a lot of people say that, that with this generation in particular, um, students want to get engaged around a a particular issue, not necessarily a party or just elections in general, but there's an issue. Do you find that to be true? Do you think this generation is different in that regard? Yeah, I think, of course, there are a lot of partisans as young people, but there's also a lot of issue-based voting. And a lot of the success we saw was people going into classrooms And not just saying, like, here's how to vote, here's the information you need, but actually connecting voting to the work that they were doing in the classroom Mm -hmm. and saying, here's how you as a nursing student are going to be affected by policy. Or here's how you as an education student need to vote in every school board election because that affects how your life will be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really tailoring the message to those students with different interests and different needs uh, is very important and something that should be continued in the future. Okay. So where do we go from here? You're you're not done. You're hopefully going to continue working with us at least um, through this academic year. And we'll see from there as you approach your senior year. Yeah. But what, what do you, from the perspective that you've had on this, what do you think organizations like ours need to do um, to really continue this momentum around student voting? Yeah, so uh, the Institute for De- Democracy and Higher Education produced a report called Election Imperatives, and they had yep. 10 or so things that they recommended, not just for this election, but getting students involved in democracy and beyond. So one of the ones that really stood out to me was learning from this election and reimagining the next one. Mm -hmm. So I think what we need to be spending this next semester on is reimagining what the next election could look like. Like, yes, we had this high turnout, but a lot of that can be attributed to the political context of the now. Uh, And maybe that won't continue. We don't know what the next two years will hold. So really spending time on institutionalizing and integrating the work that happened this cycle so that way it continues when students graduate and when faculty or staff members move on to different schools, like having it in the rules and bylaws and uh, transition papers so that way people know to continue this work and then also providing recommendations for what could be changed. Maybe we needed more satellite voting. Maybe we did need to have more of those conversations in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we should have a student organization on campus who 
no matter what cycle it is, they are registering students, explaining the importance of voting, and getting them involved in civic engagement, no matter who they are. There's a lot of things we could be doing, but the important thing is to not let ourselves be limited. Like this semester, uh, at least in Iowa, uh, we have this semester really to think up what we want to do and dream big for the next cycle, because I keep saying caucuses are basically tomorrow. So we we have to uh, really spend this time planning and thinking about what happened and reflecting on this cycle and then using that, using those lessons to build something even greater for the next one. Sounds good. Thank you for your time and all your work. Thanks for having me. So right now I'm with Virtus Robinson, our Director for Community College Engagement and Campus Compact. How are you doing, Virtus? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So in this podcast, we're doing a reflection on um, the election. So if you can talk to us about the Engage the Election project with community colleges that you worked in. So what's that all about? Sure. Um, so the Engage Election project um, was, and in fact, a direct response by Campus Compact to really leverage the 2018 midterm elections um, to create far-reaching, wide-reaching electoral engagement opportunities for community colleges specifically. And uh, many of the students that benefited from this project were first-generation, low-income, and students of color. And so the project um, was made possible by um, a nonprofit coalition that's called uh, Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition, and um, also by Young Invincibles. And um, they gave us a, a grant, um, and we were able to, uh, to give about 14 community colleges across the country um, small mini-grants to support their electoral engagement and their voter engagement efforts. Uh, many of those campuses typically you do not receive anything <laughs> uh, to do their voter engagement efforts, is particularly for a midterm election. And we know that midterm election, the participation rate is really, really low, typically. Um, so we wanted to really see and um, what can happen if we supported um, these efforts just a little bit. I mean, we only gave like just under $2,000. But what we saw is that that little bit of money went a long way on these campuses. So from out of all of that, we're going to be uh, utilizing these 14 campuses as case studies and creating resources for best practices in electoral engagement at community colleges. So what were kind of some of the projects that they did uh, for these midterm elections to engage their campus? Well, first, they, um, they had to participate in a virtual dialogue series that came out of the National Office of Campus Compact. And they were just really talking about the civic power of community colleges and voter registration, um, voter education, and voter turnout. Because a lot of voter um, engagement efforts, they really concentrate on registration, but we said that that's just the beginning. Um, you have to um, educate uh, voters and then uh, see them to the polls. So, um, and it's, so it doesn't start and stop with registration and continues on. And then even after the elections, it, can t- it, it 
it continues on. So that was one of the things we did. We also um, really, really promoted National Voter Registration Day this year. And all of the 14 community colleges had to do some type of activity. And through their efforts, just those 14 community colleges alone registered about 1,600 community college students um, on their campuses. Um, the other thing where they're asked to do uh, deliberative dialogue. Um, and so some did it on, in general, how to fix our political system. And some did it them on um, uh, ballot initiatives, like um, I believe Delta College in Michigan, they did a deliberative dialogue on recreational marijuana, which was on the ballot. So they hosted a deliberative dialogue, had out tons of people, including people from the community, come out to discuss what they were going to be voting on in, in, that, in a month, you know, that, that type of thing. And it was hosted by the community college. So the community college saw that it was the center of really, um, really bringing out issues and um, that matter to not just community colleges but, and students, but to the community itself as well. Um, and hopefully encouraging people to get out and vote. So, the, I mean, there were other um, uh, campuses that did some really unique things like get out the vote parties and, um, and watch parties and things like that. I mean, there was one watch party in which, um, in Texas actually, in which 250 um, students came out um, in, in the evening. Now, community colleges, it's really hard to get students in the evening because a lot of them work, a lot of them have families, and they spend the majority of their time in the community. Well, about 250 students came out to attend this party, and so um, and a lot of that was supported by the grant that came from Campus Compact. So um, those are just, just a few. I have more. <laughs> and That's so, awesome. yeah, it was, I mean, and, and the, the majority of the, of the people, particularly from Mesa Community College in Arizona, they said that be, because of, of the grant and because of this project, um, they did more activities and more efforts than they ever had before, even during a presidential election. Nice. And do you feel like this is a good momentum for those community colleges to keep uh, on going with this type of civic engagement work? Yeah. Oh, yes. In fact, um, one of our um, project coordinators at um, Johnson County Community College in Kansas said that, you know, she she was so inspired that um, even without any money next year, like she's planning on um, really kicking up the, the voter engagement um, effort, and it's not even a presidential year next year. And so even without money, um, this really influenced to say, you know, we could, um, we could, we, we can really do this and we should. And um, many uh, students were coming back afterwards, even after the election, saying thank you. Thank you for doing this without, you know, this influence, without the, uh, this encouragement and empowerment, I probably would not have voted this year. And I'm sure they've seen an increase in their own student uh, participation in uh, going to the polls as, as well. Of course. And um, we can only know that when we get the NSOV data back mm -hmm. to see exactly how many um, students. But, you know, as you know, um, and probably will be talked about in this podcast, I mean, we saw an increase of over um, 10 percent. Um, and, um, and a lot of them, I'm not saying is all due to the Engaged Election Project, <laughs> but efforts like this that were going on across the country really helped that happen. 
And I have to believe that we're going to see uh, a definitely, definitely increase, particularly at community colleges where even though there was not a presidential candidate, those elections really mattered to those students that lived in the communities in which they voted in. Right. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Virtus, for sharing a little bit about uh, Engage the Election and the work that's happening uh, around civic engagement at community college campuses. I think it's really important as we move forward to continue these efforts and really continue to build participation in our democracy. And this is an example of that. So thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Clarissa Unger is Director of Civic Engagement for Young Invincibles. Clarissa, thank you so much for joining us on the Compact Nation podcast. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. So I know that Young Invincibles played a big role in helping to drive record turnout among young people and really strong participation from students across the country. And I wonder if you could just tell us, what was that work? What has what did Young Invincibles do to help uh, produce such a, a good outcome in this midterm election cycle? Yeah, well, first of all, just real quickly share a little bit about Young Invincibles. So we are a nonprofit organization um, that is based out of D.C., but has regional offices across the country. Um, And our mission is to help expand economic opportunities for young adults 18 to 34 and um, elevate the voices of young adults in the political process. So we work on a number of different issues, um, one of them being civic engagement. And our civic engagement work primarily um, revolves around helping to coordinate the Students Learn, Students Vote Coalition, um, which is a coalition of over 360 nonprofit organizations from across the country that work together to design and advance a shared agenda around student voting and political learning within higher education. And so what what did that look like during this midterm cycle? How were you directly involved and, and the other coalition partners? What were what was what did the work look like on the ground? We approach our work in a very local leader-centric manner. Um, And so we see the Students Learn Students Vote Coalition being a network that supports local leaders through providing the best research, um, the best collaboration, uh, supporting them financially through um, policy assistance, and also by recognizing local leaders who are doing exceptional work in their communities. So what this specifically looked like um, in 2018 um, was that we helped to raise and distribute over $640,000 to nonprofit organizations and directly to campuses to do voter engagement work, everything ranging from registration to education um, to turnout and also helping with ensuring that students had access to the polls. Um, Additionally, we helped to support local partners in hosting eight statewide student voting summits this year. Um, We also uh, helped to anchor two major national programs, um, one of them being National Voter Registration Day and the other being a Vote Together initiative on college campuses um, to help sort of change the culture around voting and encourage folks to celebrate our democracy. And so what uh, kind of out of that um, kind of menu of efforts, and again, I think we all know, like, it takes a lot of things to move a a really big indicator like voting participation. Are there some things that were really exciting to you that just like when you think about the crazy uh, blizzard of work that you have just wrapped up that just sort of stand out as high points and things that you really feel like help move the needle? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would point uh, first to National Voter Registration Day. Um, we saw an incredible increase of campuses participating in National Voter Registration Day this year. Um, so in 2014, only 39 campuses across the country held an event on National Voter Registration Day. And this year, over 500 campuses did, um, which was just a huge increase and I think really shows um, how much campuses are really diving into um, the responsibilities that they have to ensure that their students are active citizens. Um, similarly, uh, we saw over 120 campuses across the country um, host over 150 of these vote together celebrations, either during the early vote period or on election day. Um, and so I think those two things in particular were um, specific actions that we saw campuses take that we haven't really seen to this extent in the past. I know that, you know, uh, the, the sort of negative side of voter participation are voter suppression efforts that we've seen focused on different groups. And obviously, sometimes those efforts have targeted students. D did you see work that was kind of specifically about ensuring that students were able to participate in the face of efforts to exclude them? Yeah, well, we... One example of that um, that we were able to work on this year um, happened specifically in Florida. So since 2014, early voting locations in Florida had been specifically banned from being held on college campuses. And there was a court case this year that overturned that. Um, and we were able to pull together very quickly a working group of organizations and campuses and student leaders working in Florida after um, that ban was overturned. Um, to ensure that local election officials were actually placing early voting sites on campuses in Florida. Um, and so that was really inspiring to see different groups and campuses and students all come together um, to ensure that students had access to the polls. When you sort of step back from this work and think about what is accomplished through engaging young people in electoral processes as voters and in other ways. What, why does student voting matter? Why is it important for students to show up? I think in so many instances, young people have been left out of our political process and their voices haven't been heard. And a lot of the reason for that, I think, is due to the way that partisan political campaigns are run, which typically tend to use all their resources and towards engaging folks who are likely voters or have voted in the past. And so students um, who might be first-time voters or new to the voting process don't necessarily get reached out to or get contacted. Um, and so it's really important for campuses specifically to help ensure that students have the resources that they need um, and feel confident going out and voting Many in many instances for the very first time. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, my, my uh, career started as a political scientist teaching. And one of the things I always said to students was, you know, if you were a legislator and you had to decide whose interest to serve and you knew that, for example, senior citizens turn out in very large numbers and students don't, then, you know, what would you be thinking about? Would you be thinking about uh, the college, you know, student loan debt or would you be thinking about health care for elderly people? And if you have to make trade offs, like what, where are you going to lean? And yeah, so that that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and to that point, we saw a lot of discussion this year um, about would you let your grandma make decisions about what you're going to wear or would you let your grandparents uh, make decisions about what you're going to do on a Friday night? Well, why would you let um, people of another generation make decisions about that what's going to affect you and your future? Um, so I think that's a very important point and a very, you know, shows why it's so important for young people to also take part in the voting process. So we, you know, again, we, we've seen data about the youth vote having increased by about 50%, it looks like. Um, I think we'll see student voting data a little bit later, uh, but my guess is, and probably yours, that it's, it's going to have, you know, have a similar uptick and that that's part of the larger story. If we're looking ahead to 2020, 2022 and beyond, what are some of the things that you think folks in the higher education sector should be focusing on to ensure that, you know, not, we got to 31% in the use vote, but there's a lot of room above that. How do we continue to move in the right direction? Yeah, well, Andrew, I think you sent out a wonderful email that summarized this the day after the election day that really, you know, got to the heart of it, that there is no off years when it comes to our democracy. And we have to be continuously building and engaging, engaging students and young people in the democratic process. Um, and colleges and universities just have so many different um, systems and processes already in place that they can very easily integrate any form of voter engagement into. Um, so one of the things that we're going to be encouraging campuses to start thinking about in early 2019 is how to best integrate voter registration into their orientation processes um, so that as soon as students come to campus, they understand that this is something that's important to the campus and the culture um, and then continue that with uh, voter education in the classrooms, um, encouraging the importance of local elections as well, and also um, campuses themselves and campuses and administrations and student leaders being advocates for ensuring that students have access to the polls. That's great. Um, so just a kind of final thought, when, when you think about um, the, the the sort of bright spots from this cycle, is there kind of a moment just for you personally where you where that kind of captures what has been exciting about the work that you've been doing over months and years to help produce this uptick in youth voter participation? Oh, man. I don't know if I would say there was specifically a moment, but um, if I could, I might. Sh can I shout out a couple campuses that were bright spots? Absolutely. We, we love all our thousand member institutions equally, but you can shout out some that you saw some exciting things happening at. Um, gosh, well, there were just so many, so it will be hard for me to uh, pick just a few that were bright spots. But I think um, it was really inspiring to see uh, campuses all across the country really take this seriously this year um, from you know, the University of Michigan played a very important role in bringing together a Big Ten voting challenge, which encouraged um, all of the campuses within uh, the Big Ten conference um, to 
focus on registration, focus on education, focus on turnout. That was really exciting to see. We also saw campuses um, that were stepping up and being leaders in their state. So UT Austin held a statewide student voting summit where they um, brought in a bunch of minority serving institutions and community colleges specifically to help share some of the lessons that they had learned in this work um, and then developed a Texas voting network from that. Um, so just there's really examples of this all across the country. And it's been incredible just to see um, some of these bright spots campuses um, doing really great work this year. Well, Clarissa, we at Campus Compact appreciate your work hugely. We appreciate the the work you've done in bringing together all the partners in the coalition. And we are really proud to work alongside so many others in this work. Uh, And congratulations on, on a great cycle. And we look forward to keeping the momentum going. Thank you so much, Andrew. I would say the same goes for Campus Compact. We are so proud to partner with you all um, and look forward to doing so in the years to come. All right, we'll get it done. (laughs) Thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for um, listening in to those quick bright spots from across our network. There is so much going on. Um, that's really focused on getting students more involved in our political process. But that's not done. We re- that's just one election cycle. Uh, our work is ongoing and continues to focus in that area in a, in a lot of different ways. I think we see that across campuses with civic action plans and, and many of our initiatives. But in particular, um, a newer initiative of ours, Education for Democracy, is particularly focused on that. And Andrew, do you want to give folks just an update or preview on kind of what we have going on in that department? Absolutely. Yeah, Education for Democracy, as, as you just said, Emily, is about building on exceptional work that's been going on across our network to engage students in democracy, in elections, in deliberation. And just given the challenges around us and the need for greater student participation, uh, we thought it made sense to pull that work together in a more focused and intentional way. So we are focusing on those areas, electoral participation, deliberation, uh, understanding political news in more sophisticated ways uh, and understanding our institutions and policymaking processes more deeply, looking to really increase both student leadership and teaching capacity. And so we're building a set of tools and resources, including uh, an online open educational resources platform that we're calling the Democracy Learning Channel to position our member institutions to work more effectively across the curriculum and integrating learning for democracy into courses and programs, as well as building programs in the co-curricular space uh, that will help create the kind of campus climates that we know motivate students to be thinking and acting in democratic ways, uh, both during election seasons and also more generally. Exciting. Good stuff. And we hope certainly that All of our member campuses out there are continuing to think about how to build on the successes of this year. This right now is a great moment to think about what went well and really start planning for the future. I know all the campuses I talk to every election cycle wish that they had gotten started sooner with thinking about how to make this happen. And so we're we're here to support that and we'll continue to in a lot of ways. And I think it's important to think about that ongoing focus Um, on something so that we can continue what's happening that is going well. 
Um, so yesterday was Giving Tuesday, and uh, this year's Giving Tuesday funds are dedicated to our Education for Democracy project and uh, specifically our Newman Civic Fellows. So if you like the podcast and like the work that's going on with Campus Compact, we encourage you to donate between now and December 31st. And if you'd like to support us, compact.org. You know, like many of your community partner organizations, we are effectively a pretty small nonprofit organization trying to move forward uh, a national agenda about supporting our communities and our democracy through higher education. So we would appreciate any support you would like to share. Yeah. If nothing else, if you've enjoyed the podcast, throw a few bucks our way. I mean, this amazing service is coming your way free. (laughs) <laughs> free from Campus Compact. And free. I've just learned in a, in a uh, up-to-date bulletin, there's a donate button on every single page of our website. So you can just stumble in to any page, bottom of the page, donate button, compact.org slash anything. Couldn't any be easier. Any kind of thing could just come could after it. could not be easier. Easy. Very easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, here's to getting back into the post-holiday flow, uh, weaning your body off pie. That's what I'm working on. Um, But after this week, probably, because we've still got one in the fridge. (laughs) Uh, You know, working out probably is a thing we should do post-holiday. Good luck with all of it. Thank you for that inspiring <laughs> leadership. I think we're, we're all ready to go. And uh, it's been lovely chatting with you about the election and, and other matters. Uh, yep. As always, uh, find us at compact.org slash podcast on social media, hashtag compact nation pod, or email us at podcast at compact.org. We want to hear your input, your guest ideas your pie recipes, whatever you got, send it our way. Have a great day. Awesome. Bye everyone. The Compact Nation podcast is produced by Molly Leeper, Communications Manager for Campus Compact. Campus Compact is based in Boston, Massachusetts, and has over a thousand member colleges and universities across the country and beyond. If you want to learn more about Campus Compact, visit us at compact.org. You can send your comments, questions, and show ideas to podcast at compact.org or find us on social media with hashtag compactnationpod.